to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and a warm welcome to you from wherever you're joining me in the world today. I'd like to just acknowledge my sponsor, Anchor, that is the main sponsor for the podcast and also Generate 22 conference that's going to be held over the 30th and the 31st of March in Melbourne. Anchor is an advanced manufacturing company of CNC grinding machines, automation, motion control solutions, and sheet metal fabrication. From the manufacture of mobile phones to aeroplanes, cutting tools help shape the world we live in. Anchor's grinders are used for manufacturing precision cutting tools and components across a diverse range of competitive industries, including aerospace, medical cutting tools, automotive, including electric vehicles and electronics. And it's my absolute pleasure to have Dr. John Flackett on the show today. His tagline on LinkedIn says he's got a PhD in artificial intelligence, co-founder of AI Lab and Australia AI Collective, AI specialist in residence at Auckland University of Technology, international AI speaker. So John, welcome and thanks, thanks so much Nikki. for joining me. <laughs> it's so good to be here with you. Thank you. It's it's long overdue. So John, you're a natural educator. You're a lecturer at a uni in the UK. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how on earth you ended up in Adelaide. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. First off, that's very kind of you to say that. And also, it is lovely to be here with you. Thank you so much for the invite. And it's good to be talking today. So um, look, I'll give you just a quick brief history, actually, about how I got there, because I actually started my computing career way back in the late 80s, where I joined a, a major UK bank as a computer operator. So I kind of fell into computing then. And our, our jobs were basically to keep the mainframes running 24-7 on shifts. And they crunched all the financial numbers during the night. Um, you know, it's quite high pressure. But I, you know, I really enjoyed that. And I, and I worked with a fantastic team, um, very close knit. Um, and I learned really quite a lot about teamwork and collaborating and pulling together and, and all of those things then. So um, I felt pretty safe, actually, in my career. I was there for five years when I decided um, that I was going to take a year off just to backpack around the world. And that was the first time that I visited Australia. Um, unfortunately, when I got back, although I had a brilliant year away, my job had been automated. So, you know, we talk about automation now, but, you know, it's been happening for such a long time. And so this career, this brilliant career that I had, um, had just disappeared. So, you know, I wanted to stay in computing. I loved it, um, but I needed to upskill. So I was lucky enough to get into um, university as a mature student. And during that time um, on my undergraduate degree, there was a single AI unit on the undergraduate degree and I just loved it and I built the the first AI system that I built was a sort of Q&A um, system to help diagnose faults with VW Beetles and I was just hooked I just like wow this is amazing um, and so much so that I based my final year dissertation as well um, on AI looking at how structure is encoded in AI systems and then when I graduated um, I was lucky enough to get a first class degree um, and when I graduated, my supervisor asked me if I wanted to continue to do a PhD. And obviously, I jumped at that. 
and nine years later i i got my phd in machine learning and natural language processing um, but back to your question about education like many phd candidates i started teaching well and and actually i started teaching more than researching um, and i just loved it you know it's where my passion for education came from um, so I eventually became a senior lecturer teaching AI and software engineering at both undergraduate and, and master's level. And I was also a project supervisor and project coordinator for end of year undergrad projects. And all during that time, I, I was visiting Australia quite regularly because I was really fortunate to have some school friends that moved to Noosa. So it wasn't a bad place to, to come. Um, and then when I decided to leave university after, after getting my PhD, um, migrating into Australia just felt like a, you know, a new adventure, something different to try. And why Adelaide? Well, I'd never visited it, so it seemed like a really good place to explore. And that was back in 2006. And at that point, AI wasn't in the mainstream. So I worked as a software engineer developing commercial grade software for major corporations in a range of different industries before creating my three companies. The first of which was a smart web company called Coolth, um, which helps businesses automate their processes. And, and we actually made use of a lot of AI tools and techniques to make the systems perform smart decisions, you know, even back then. And then around 2017, um, when AI was starting to really get into the mainstream, a couple of our Coolth clients who knew our background and, and passion for education, started asking us for AI training. And so AI Lab was born. And, and now we teach organizations on how best to start using AI and, and giving them strategies for navigating the AI landscape. I think that's a very um, pertinent point because I think for a lot of companies in Australia, you mentioned AI and they go, well, where do we start? Like, what do we do? Like, like what is this all about? And it's this, this genie out of the box type of thing and we need to be afraid of it. What do you say to those companies? They must immediately phone you is the first thing I say, but yeah. <laughs> that's Thank it. You, Thank you, Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, look, yeah, it's true, right? You know, people are, you know, really interested in it and it's fantastic. Like, you know, it is actually quite hard for me to believe, given that, you know, I've nearly been in AI for three decades that, you know, now people are talking about it so much. And it's just fantastic. But I think there is quite a spectrum of understanding around AI. Um, I think luckily for the most part, I think that, the, we're, that we're past that single dystopian view that AI is portrayed in the sci-fi movies. I think we've moved past that a little bit and we're starting to understand that actually there's other great things that AI offer. Um, but it is interesting because in my talks, one of the very first questions that I ask the audience is, is there anyone willing to say they don't know what AI is? Um, and I think, you know, because artificial intelligence is so embedded in our daily lives, you know, when we're online shopping, um, you know, finding our way with maps and home assistants, smartwatches and email, things like that. And, and it's talked about so often that I really think that people think they should know about it. And so they, they sometimes they don't step forward. And, and I don't think that we actually discuss the foundations and history of AI enough as well mm -hmm. um, to really frame what AI is. So, for instance, you know, the term AI was coined 65 years ago. You know, it's not a new thing. Um, so way back in 1956, John McCarthy 
at the famous Dartmouth conference in the USA use that term. And so, you know, the recent talk around AI for a lot of us seems very sudden. I think one of the most prevailing views around AI is that it's, a, it's one single technology, uh, namely something called deep learning, and which isn't surprising because, you know, there's been incredible achievements in the last decade with deep learning, especially around object recognition and natural language processing. But AI isn't one technique. It's a field of study about um, how to possibly create intelligent machines and machines that can undertake a range of tasks that we humans find relatively easy. And there's lots of different techniques that fall under the AI banner. For instance, we've got techniques that are rule-based, something we call symbolic AI. We encode knowledge as numbers um, in artificial neural networks. And um, we've also got systems that evolve using survival of the fittest, something called genetic algorithms. And there's, and there's lots more techniques as well. So it's pretty important to understand that we're seeing that AI tools and techniques showing most success in, in very specific tasks, you know, narrow AI. So if a company approached you to come and give them a bit of an oversight and overview and how they can do a little bit more automation in their company, like, can you talk us through some steps? What's the whole process involved? Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing to do really is to break down what AI is and what it isn't. So, you know, off the back of what I was just saying, it's really important to, to know what the capabilities are, because I think everything that's been seen and that gets highlighted is kind of end to end automation. So, you know, people really transform in whole whole companies, but there's very few companies in the world that can do that. You know, the Amazons of the world, for instance, you know, that, mm -hmm. that try and do complete end to end. Just to, to sort of highlight the capabilities of AI a bit. I was watching TV the other day, right? Yeah, and there's a show where you have to figure out if someone's lying. Um, it's quite, you know, it's, 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 it's British, so it's really funny. Um, and so <laughs> someone said, oh, was he, someone asked the question, was he climbing the tree with his bare hands? And then someone else said, no, he had human hands. Right? <laughs> and, and to us, that's really, really funny, right? Yeah, because you know obviously bear <laughs> yeah relates to empty or unable yeah, whatever, yeah. but not the paws of a huge furry it, animal yeah right but, but it's just common sense to us but to get that into computers to capture that common sense knowledge that we use to navigate the world with is really really hard and so those kind of examples show how far we are from sort of general ai and so we need to frame the conversation around that, you know, what the possibilities are. So, you know, back to your question about what we do in the workshops, we really try and explore good use cases around, um, you know, what's possible and what isn't and how that relates to their company. And, but also, you know, frame it around a problem that, that needs to be solved. AI is the same as software engineering has always been. We need a problem to solve. Yeah. We don't want to be using a technology running around just trying to apply, you know, a really cool technology for the sake of doing it. You know? So you're based in, in Adelaide. Um, I'm assuming you work all over in Australia, in fact, all over the world. Yeah. So we are headquartered in South Australia, but, you know, we've been a remote company with Cool Fand AI Lab for pretty much a decade. So, yeah, we work interstate. We work in Europe and obviously New Zealand as well now. 
And we just want to get to as many people as possible to teach them about AI and really highlight the opportunities around AI. And have you seen the demand and increase, John, like in the time that you've been doing this? Have you seen um, a, a bigger adoption rate? Yeah, I mean, I think going back to when our course clients were asking us to to educate them around AI, we, we've just seen demand increase ever since. Look, I'm really lucky that I've got my dream job. I'm passionate about AI. I'm passionate about uh, education. Uh, I really can't complain, you know, going around the world virtually at the moment, but, you know, hopefully back in person very soon, um, you know, running the workshops and, and speaking to people about AI and emerging tech. Um, you know, it's a privilege. And, yeah. um, you know, through AI Lab, we're very fortunate, I think, to have helped so many people on their journey. And, you know, that's through education and, you know, research programs as well. So speaking about uh, New Zealand, you've actually spread your wings. There were either artificial intelligence specialists in residence and AI ambassadors for the Auckland University of Technology um, virtually at the moment. And you also launched an AI lab at some Auckland University of Technology. How did all of this happen? Yeah, well, you know, a few years ago, I was invited over by um, Professor Guy Littlefair, who's the Pro Vice Chancellor International at AUT, um, just to give a, a guest lecture. Um, around AI. So I presented on the past, present and future of AI. And we also spent some time while I was there discussing how academia and industry can form closer ties and the opportunities around commercializing cutting edge um, AI research as well, something that we're passionate about. And then later that year, AUT's Faculty for Design and Creative Technologies invited me over to become the AI specialist in residence and set up another AI lab at AUT which was fantastic. So I was supposed to be in Auckland, let me get this right now, um, in May 2020, but then, you know, COVID kind of hit and I had to cancel flights six weeks prior to leaving. So I was going to go over there for a year, set up AI Lab at AUT and obviously um, do the residency. However, like I said, you know, we've been a remote company for, you know, going on a decade. So we used all our experience to undertake the residency virtually. I like to think I was a first virtual resident. I'm not quite sure if that's true, but, you know, be nice to think that. And I'm happy to say, Nikki, it's just it's been a resounding success, you know. Well, I think we've been able to show that, you know, we can run events remotely. We've, we've undertaken a number of research projects. We've met some amazing, incredible people and, and formed some brilliant relationships. And to be honest, I can't wait to pop over um, there, hopefully early next year. We'll, oh, we'll it's absolutely fantastic and, and anyway congratulations I think it's a huge honor that they asked you and um, I mean obviously a pity with COVID but as you say in some ways it's um, giving you the opportunity to meet maybe people you wouldn't have just because of the virtual capability and it's interesting because you have people dial in from everywhere in the world and I've even with my Melbourne robotics meetup I have people from Germany dialing in that wouldn't be possible if I was having an in-person event for sure. And I think, you know, you can cover that, that area. So, you know, within New Zealand, um, obviously, I was going to be based in Auckland. And, you know, I did have plans to travel to Christchurch and Wellington and, you know, go to other places. But obviously, those people can dial in, like you say. And so you do get to meet uh, people don't have to commit so much time for, for traveling. And, you know, as another contact point for AI at AUT, 
and, and talking to companies about, you know, what their AI needs are, um, you know, it's just been very easy for people to get in touch, touch with me, not just in New Zealand, but in Australia as well and, and, yeah. and in other places. So, yeah, it's been really good. And I think the other thing is that this has allowed us to take a bit of a step back as well and just see other opportunities. So I see a huge similarity between Australia and New Zealand, especially in terms of maturity of AI. We've got an AI action plan um, that's, you know, being implemented. They're currently working on their national AI strategy. Mm-hmm. So I think there's huge opportunities to work together and also a thirst for mm-hmm. it as well. And I think that we could actually build a really, really strong trans-Tasmin set of AI capabilities. Yeah, and collaboration. I couldn't agree with you more there. I think with the robotics roadmap, um, part of the work, they included the um, New Zealanders as well. And I, I think it's just an obvious um, collaboration of meeting of two countries. Yeah, I think there's a, a thirst and a passion for yeah. it, really. Yeah. It's just how we connect. And, you know, obviously everyone's very, very comfortable now with the way that we're meeting. You know, it yeah. would be nice to, to see you in person, of course. Yeah. But the opportunities are huge, um, I think. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like, again, we were talking about silver linings just before we, we hit the record button about, you know, things that happen in our life. And, you know, COVID's obviously been devastating on many fronts, but there are silver linings that we've got from this. And this is quite normal now, you know, where people didn't even know what Zoom was. Now it's just Zoom's just the words thrown around. Will we Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I went to a meeting the other day, an in-person meeting, and, you know, one of the few that I've, that I've done over the last couple of years and someone had traveled an hour and a half to be there and we're literally saying I used to do this every day yeah why why was I spending three hours in the car yeah it's ridiculous I I, and I to that point I think um COVID has also brought home that you can work from home you can be trusted to do what you need to do and in fact um I, I find it like I'm very interested to see how the back to work evolution is going to happen because I think those days where we all sit there five days a week, I think they're truly gone. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think there's any any going back and, and nor should there be really. I think yeah. what's really, I know we're going off topic a little bit, but oh, I right. think what's been really interesting is if we, you know, when we look at Coolth and we look at, you know, what we've, what we've done with that company and automating business processes, what we saw at the beginning of COVID was that companies that had really good digital literacy um, were able to cope with COVID much, much better than, than companies that didn't. And unfortunately, some companies that didn't have digital literacy, you know, didn't make it. Um, and that just shows you how important Obviously, emerging technologies um, and where we're going on that front um, is really important. But just core digital competency mm-hmm. is really, really important. Um, and I think, you know, it's really shown that. And now people have that and they, they're set up at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing that's really come to light is that companies that are focused on outcomes also fared a lot better than companies that just log time mm-hmm. and reward I guess for just being there yeah lock um, up so you, you actually go so what is your job all about now my job is just to be here no but what do you actually do now I'm here that's what I do <laughs> right you know because you can always fill your time with stuff yeah yeah um and uh, you know people work in different ways 
you know, I'm a, I'm a morning person. Yeah. If I can get through the morning, if I can get to the afternoon without having done very much, then that's pretty much my day over, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I need, I need to get up early and get stuck in. And, and you know, the people I work with are, um, are afternoon people. Yeah. And, you know, that's when they do their best work. And I yeah. don't do my best work then. So why, why would I do that when I can get up, you know, two hours earlier and, and really get stuck into stuff? And it's, it's, it's all about yeah. Yeah, and it's about the trust that you have in your people. I think the, um, and we'll finish off with it. It's just that the the next level of onboarding people that have never worked with their colleagues, I think there's some areas potentially for some problems in the future, but I think people will work through it as they go along. Sure, and I think hybrid, people want to be working together. Mm. Uh, you know, there's there is an awful lot to be said for the way that organizations run and things get done within teams. You know, right back at the beginning of this, you know, I was talking about where I learned about teamwork and, you know, how important it was for people to work together and pull together and have your back, you know, including managers and your your co-workers. And, you know, I all look back at those days with huge fondness and we're all still in touch. You know, when I go when I go back to the UK, I I meet up with all these people that I work with back in the 80s, you know. And they all still see each other because they see each other as a family. And I don't think that we should lose that because actually a lot of things that happen within an organization are done um, and communicated uh, on post-it notes that are left on desks and, you know, in the elevator, in the corridor. Yeah. Um, And you can't replace that remotely. Yeah, it's an so, informal round the water cooler sure. um, discussions that you have. Hey, John, did you, what do you think of this? The one sentence that flicks your thought process in a different direction. You don't need a Zoom meeting. You don't need a meeting for it. It's just a quick insight from a colleague of yours. Sure. And I think, you know, people say that you can do that over chat, you know, maybe Slack or, you know, other other forms of technology. But actually, it's when you step away. We all know that, our, you know, as a software engineer, I know that I've solved the most difficult problems when I've woken up in the middle of the night or I've been shopping and then suddenly I've got to run out and try and write it down somewhere because I've figured it out. My brain's figured it out when I'm not thinking about it. It's actually your subconscious. You've had it to your subconscious and it's been ticking away in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, those informal conversations in the, um, sorry, I'm so distracted. It's okay. Sorry. only because yeah <laughs> can you lift we'll, can we'll you come lift? back at <laughs> the dog at the lift? dog there you go <laughs> to the audience i i'm working from home and i have a toy poodle on my lap who's a very needy little critter so she um interrupts all the the podcasts and, and also only, gorgeous i have to say very, absolutely she's, gorgeous she's very very cute Trishna, you've made your debut on the podcast <laughs> behave yourself so john now you do a lot of voluntary work, and one of it is the co-founder of the Adelaide Artificial Intelligence Meetup Series. So tell us about this and how it happened. Yeah, um, sure. So we started that in uh, 2018, and what we wanted to do was we wanted to provide free events for anyone that's got an interest about finding about AI. Um, and we've had fantastic support from the City of Adelaide, um, and the Australian Institute of Machine Learning, the AMIL here, here in Adelaide, um, who both have helped sponsor events with us. Um, and 
all the events that we held have been oversubscribed, which you know just shows the interest in AI. And it's the meetup's actually grown to the largest AI networking community in South Australia. And we're we're so proud to have to have hosted and organized those events. Um, and it's been a really great way for us to provide support and connections for business and individuals, I guess. Um, and we work really hard to try and bring um, local and international speakers to, to showcase. And we, it, that's been a little bit easier as well when you're doing it online, uh, especially yeah. the international. Um, but, you know, we try and bring in speakers from other states as well, as you know. Yeah. And um you know, as a result, I think the meetups help with connections for projects, recruitment, collaborations, businesses, and, you know, just general education around AI. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. I think it's you. a, it's a, a, it's an awesome initiative. And as you say, like to the energy that you put in, the passion, it's not, it's a, it's not a one-off event. So there's, there's a big difference between hosting these things on a continual basis than just having a quick one-off event. So, um, you know, congratulations to you and Emma. Oh, so, thank uh, you. Yeah, no, so um, as you alluded, like I was actually invited to one of your meetups um, in 2019. It was great to my listeners. It, I was so, um, we were spoiled. Uh, Sue Kay and I flew down and you hosted us so graciously. Um, the focus was on AI and robotics. So um, you obviously interested in robotics. How did this interest come about? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to take part and, and coming over. And um, we were also very lucky that you brought over your little robot, Temi, to yes. South Australia as well. And you even let us showcase it to local government and businesses in yes. the following days. Um, um, there's, I think there's some video kicking around of that as well somewhere. Um, and in, in fact, actually, I... I wish that there was a lot more opportunities for people to engage with and, and test out emerging technologies. Um, it's so much more relatable and easy to have discussions about the benefits, isn't it? I think yeah. when, when you can go hands-on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you. But back to your question. Yeah, look, I've, I've, I've been interested in hardware and mechanical systems for, for ages. Um, I don't mention it that often, but I actually do have a BTEC in electronic engineering. Um, but my PCB design and soldering skills leave quite a lot to be desired. So hence the <laughs> career in computing. Um, uh, I, I really became fascinated by the merging of AI and robotics during the early days of my PhD um, in the mid 90s, because we had quite a large engineering department at the university. Um, and there were two particular research projects that I was fascinated in. The first one was using artificial neural networks to counter the vibrations of a medical robot. So the vibrations would transfer to the needle and the needle was being used for brain surgery. And so the artificial neural network took away that vibration. The other project of one of my eventual supervisors, he was using artificial neural networks to predict when a cutting tool might fail in a high speed CNC machine. Um, so that they could take it to end of life, but not right to end of life, because mm -hmm. when these things fail, they fail like they've got bulletproof glass on the machines. Right. Because when yeah. they fail, everything explodes. Yeah, it's pretty cool to watch. I've seen it happen. 
Um, and in fact, I probably spent too much time in the mechanical engineering labs when I should have been concentrating on my own research, <laughs> which is so interesting. The, phrase, the phrase, a fail spectacularly comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. It's really exciting. Not, yeah. It's not so good for the, um, for the engineers, but if you're no. like a third party watcher, it's quite exciting. Yeah, because we don't have to fix anything, which is, oh, wow, look at that. I can yeah, well, have a coffee. Wow, that is a mess <laughs> yeah. and expensive. Um, yeah, so that was pretty cool, you know, and I, and I, and I, it just so happened to align as well with that idea of, of merging AI based decision making and robots aligned with what I was starting to think was the way forward for true intelligent machines. It's, it's something we called embodied AI. Um, so look, there's quite a lot of philosophy around that, but in a nutshell, Obviously, we can design and build AI computer systems in a closed world, right? Where we know all the possible scenarios and states of that world. So board games are a great example of that. Um, applying sets of rules to states that computer systems can do really well, which is why we can't now beat computers at chess, right? Yeah. But we don't live in a closed world. We All the options available to us moving through the real world and making decisions about it are pretty much infinite. So, you know, and, and the world is constantly changing, you know, everything from the conditions, the weather, um, the landscape, you know, if you're on the beach, the tides are changing, the sands are shifting, we get new roads, new infrastructure all the time. And obviously all the objects that are in the world as well, like animals, people and cars, vehicles, everything. And also the other thing that changes, are, you know, are our beliefs as well. Some things that we, um, know to be true today we change hopefully in the future when more information comes about so all of those things yet yeah, if you think about the way that humans move and adapt through the a constantly changing world it's really really impressive so I think that if we want to build machines that can adapt like we do to changing environments we need to build machines that have some kind of body as in the embodiment of of AI um, with, so that they can sense the world around it. So that's, you know, vision systems, listening devices, pressure sensors, gyroscopes, you know, all of that and more. So our embodied AI then needs to process all that information that it receives from the world. And it also needs to be prepared to update its state and its working knowledge about the world, it, including the fact that it might be totally wrong. The knowledge that it might have is totally wrong because it's encountered something that's counterfactual to that. So I think when we're processing all those, all those different sensors, we're getting different signals as well. Um, and that's something called data fusion. And it won't surprise you, Nikki, to, to, to know that I'm really interested in that as well. <laughs> no, it comes as no surprise. You know, the thing, John, I think what, what we need in every place, and I, I say to people, I, I was on a smart communities podcast, and I, I said, one of my comments was, anyone working in robotics and AI, it is our duty and it is our job to educate people about the usefulness of this and not the stereotype Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll 
be back to don't annihilate the world. No, don't mention it. Like, <laughs> let's mention the elephant in the room. Let's just clobber him out of the room. Like, you know, there, there's such good that, that um, robotics can do. Um, AI, you know, the detection of breast cancer, um, whether it's artificial limbs, this is all a form of robotics, you know, and if you if you explaining to people and saying, but don't you see the use in this? Do you, um, I think the, the first thing they, they worried about is that they're going to be, as human beings, we're going to be obsolete. I don't think that can ever happen because I don't think, A, we will allow it to happen and B, there will always be a use for human beings. Yeah, I agree. One thing I always say is, you know, we're in charge of the future that we, that we want to build, yeah. right? We are totally in charge of it just in the same way that we if we really wanted to we could do something about climate change you know we, we can do the same with emerging technologies as well not just ai right although you know ai does pose significant risk because it it is now for the first time we have technology that's that's you know looking at cognitive abilities and, and decision making and we all know that that can be used in the wrong way um, which is why we need smart policy makers and, and good regulation around mm. these things, just in the same way that we've done for other dangerous technologies in the past. Um, but yeah, we, we build that, right? And I agree with you. I think, you know, humans, if, if you just think as humans as things that do jobs, then, you know, maybe we will be replaced. Mm. But we're much more than that, right? Yeah. There's much more. We're much more complex than that. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe there is things that we want to do with our life. It's not just about work, right? And not just about jobs. Um, And, you know, and and some of those things are fulfilling, but, you know, so is art and music Mm. and, you know, hanging out together. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty cool thing to do as a human. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I look at it in a way that, this technology is here, like whether people like it or not. And to your point of having smart policies, um, stringent rules and regula- regulations around it. And I think everyone in the world is doing their bits. Like, I don't think there's a country in the world that's not, doesn't matter how far behind you are, people are, are they now aware of it that they have to get on the bad wagon and do it. Sure. And, you know, the only thing I'd like to shift um, the discussion around uh, some of the time, and obviously there's lots of people that already know this, is the application of the technologies that we need to be looking at. Mm. Not, not the, you know, you don't ban AI. You, yeah. you ban the application of AI to certain areas. Uh, for instance, you know, auton- autonomous um, weapons. Mm. Which, you know, it's not something that we need. We should have. It's not something that we should be building. It should be regulated and banned. Mm. as simple as that you know Um, because there's so many good things that we can use it for yeah i agree so speaking of countries doing work um the government has now tasked the csro to get a national center for a up and running um like what are your thoughts on that yeah well look i'm really looking forward to it opening its, its doors um you know i think it's important that we have a strong ai focused ecosystem here in australia Um, And I just see the National Centre and there's also four associated digital capability centres. That's just the start for us, I think. Look, it's it's well known that Australia isn't investing anywhere near as much as other countries in AI at the moment. We're investing millions instead of billions that other countries are. But to be honest, I've always been very optimistic around this and I think it will change. 
I, I really do. I think I think we need to make sure that the current AI budget is spent wisely and we need to maximize the return on investment and we need to keep pressure up on the decision makers to to invest more. But I'm hoping that if we do that and we get a good return on investment, that more money, um, that's not just public money, but private money as well, will then mm. follow follow all of the initial spending. Um, I, th I think we're in a bit of a situation that if the governments um, and the powers that be that are making decisions about this, if they're not on board with this, like, like how could they not be? Like it, it, it's so obvious of what's going on in the rest of the world. And I think um, just thank goodness that we have the maturity and the people in the robotics community anyway here on the ground that a lot of people don't even know about, hence the podcast, but like they, we do have the skills and the NAS in Australia to do this. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, if, I think if we set our stall out, you know, through the action plan and good investment, we're only going to build more capability. And, you know, I think the more we talk about it like this, you know, this is a great opportunity to talk about it. And um, I think the more that companies as well put pressure on and, and say, look, you know, we're now at a competitive disadvantage by not having the capability here, um, then I think we will see more investment. I'm, I'm still really optimistic about it. Yeah. I think um, the likes of Atlassian and these big boys that have got literally billions of dollars to spend, um, I, I'm glad is on the climate uh, climate change um, issue. And um, I think this is just the flow on from that. So now speaking about all these, um, what should I call these plates that you juggle up in the air? Like how, how do you manage this? Who, who is the, the, the mastermind behind you finagling all of this? Yeah, well, thank you, Nikki. You know, you know that it's not me, right? <laughs> Listen, you have your skill set. I know this. <laughs> thank you. Well, uh, you know, you're talking about um, Emma. Emma Berry, um, she's my super talented co-founder. Um, she's always in the background, but it doesn't mean to say that she's not the driving force, as you say. Yeah. So, you know, I am the face of AI Lab. Um, it, you know, it's what I do. Um, but she just works tirelessly behind the scenes. So amongst many other things, she's basically in charge of the strategic direction of the company. And she manages all our um, workshops and events as well. Um, she's also co-founder and director of Coolth um, and also Australia AI Collective, um, which is the industry voice um, that we AI Lab partnered with Queensland AI Hub and Sue. And, you know, she's all, she also co-founded the Adelaide AI Meetup as well. So I think overall, right, she, she's the real unsung hero here. Well, um, we, this is her opportunity for you and I. Emma, kudos to you there in the background. We love the work you're doing and um, a phenomenal, absolutely formidable, formidable and um, fantastic partnership you two have got going there. So um, kudos to you. Well, look, it's nice to give her some spotlight, Nikki, isn't it? You know, because yeah. she shies away from that. You know her. You know, she's quite possibly the nicest, the most driven person in the whole wide world. Um, you know, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, and on top of that as well, she's like a world-class designer. So, you know, it, it's amazing. So no, I, I, I want to say thanks to her as well. Yeah. So um, on behalf of everyone listening, Emma, great job. Continue. Now, John, any closing insights or thoughts that you want to leave our, our listeners with? Yeah, sure. So I think there's a couple of couple of things. The 
I would like to encourage anyone that's interested in AI or robotics to, to dive in and just get started because there's so much freely available, top quality information available online now. Um, you know, for instance, we on AILab.com.au, we have a lot of free resources to get people started. We, you know, we've got a history of AI on there. We've got a glossary of AI terms. We've got interviews with AI experts. We also list events and upcoming news. And then, of course, we've got our professional AI workshops and masterclasses to take people's learning to the next level. Um, I think it all seems a little bit daunting at first, but really there's never been a better time to get started on, on your AI journey. So my last comment, and we've actually touched on it a lot in this conversation, is around the importance of collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, because it's really becoming harder to do everything under one roof, uh, you know, in a single organization. Because we know that emerging technologies work together. So more and more, I think we'll see AI-based solutions being put into hardware, such as robots and drones. Um, and if you're an AI provider, it's very likely that you'll need to partner and work with other companies that build hardware uh, because you can't do everything. So I think the sooner that people and businesses become comfortable with collaboration, the better. Listen, I couldn't uh, emphasize that point more. And I think um, a rising tide lifts all ships. So, you know, I think there's enough room for everyone to do what they need to do. Um, I'm a firm believer in collaboration myself. And um, as you say, you simply can't do everything yourself. No. It's, it's hard. I think if you haven't done it and, and companies are wary about doing it as well, um, you know, they might get a bad experience, but I, I think you just have to keep going. You have yeah. to be very confident in what you do, not worry about it too much. Mm. Uh, it's hard sometimes, but, you know, and but you get to meet great people and yeah. people that are passionate. If you can find people that, are, you know, I always say if I can find people that are as passionate as I am with AI, in what they're doing say with hardware then you're always going to have a good conversation definitely at least, at the very made, least. yeah match made in heaven uh john where can people reach you the easiest way is for people to go through the contact form on ai lab on the ai lab website okay AI i'll put that in yeah, i'll put that in the show notes as well and obviously if you're not connected to john on linkedin immediately rectify this uh, this error in your ways um yeah i think because john's very prolific on linkedin as well and always interesting to see what he's doing there yeah and twitter as well i love twitter okay oh, I, you know I, like i spend too much time on twitter probably looking at stuff but it's you know i find it really interesting so <laughs> that's a rabbit hole as well yeah yeah you know <laughs> I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well. John, thank you so much. It's been like an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Like it's been well and long overdue, so, but I'm delighted we had a, a chance to do this. Uh, thank you so much, Nikki. Honestly, it's so nice to see you. I'm hoping that we can catch up in person soon. And, you know, I really, really appreciate everything you're doing with the podcast. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic being here chatting with you. Fabulous. And to our listeners, join us next week for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Wherever you're on the world, stay safe, um, look after yourself, and um, we'll chat next week. Mm -hmm.